This program deals with devil worship and satanic beliefs. It contains explicit scenes and descriptions of violent crimes and rituals. Americans are asking who attacked our country. You declared a subliminal jihad against the United States. Can you tell us why? Everything pertaining to what's happening has never come to the surface. The world will never know the true facts of what occurred, my motives. And night fell on a different world. And Iblis is thinking, you know, I should be getting this position, not Adam, and this guy is created from dirt. And how does the army feel about you being head of the Temple of Set? And the conspiracy theorists can say what they will. But... I want you to give me power over Adam, and I want you to give me soldiers and minions and all of these things. Because he had so much to gain and had such a material I'm Khaled. And today, we have a movie review <laughs> doing, to get to. This is our ooky spooky Halloween episode that uh, have like belatedly, several weeks after Halloween. Yeah. Yes. Well, I uh, mean, maybe a week actually. It might release this soon, but oh, we're recording yeah, this yeah. on November 5th. So yeah. in the wake of the, you know, climactic uh, spooky weekend last yeah. week. But... We wanted you know, to do, but I feel, you, know, you know, I don't know. The vibes were a little like Halloween vibes were strange this year. I well, think, yeah, very I mean, obvious reason because there's like a genocide uh, currently happening. Um, yes. So, yeah, like we wanted to do a ooky spooky fun Halloween episode. Um, you know, fun like potentially interesting, uh, like uh, relaxing, like breezy, but. Yeah, as we were just saying before recording, we don't want to uh, take any of, like, the focus or pressure off of, like, the ongoing genocide in Gaza or, yeah, like, the imminent, uh, like, ethnic cleansing of uh, the Gaza Strip. Yeah. It's it's definitely one of the situations where, like, I'm glad that we didn't position ourselves as, like, you know, political leaders, like, in any way people are looking to for, like, guidance, like, in this, like, time, because I don't really know, like, what guidance I would give, because, like, a lot of the time, you just feel, like, despair, you know, but, I mean, I do think it's important to, like, keep the pressure on, like, I have seen people saying, like, oh, you know, aid can't get into Gaza, like, so it's pointless to give aid, I don't really know, like, I feel like, you know, if you give to, like, Islamic Relief, like, they'll use it, like, you know, uh, in some in some way. Like, uh, I think that it will, like, see use. So I wouldn't say that. I, I wouldn't discourage people from giving aid, but also, like, getting out on the streets. Like, marching, that does have an effect. I think people notice uh, the so. like, volume of so. people who have been out there, you know? Even though, I, like... I think... Yeah. Yeah. Like I said last time, like, oh, I don't want to overstate, you know, the uh, the power of posting, you know, or something like that, or be like, you know, posting about this is posting like, matters is a doing little bit revolutionary too. action. But it does, especially since they keep trying to not, turn the internet off in Gaza and everything, like, so that people can't yeah. like uh, communicate from the inside, and like, so that they can like do this in the dark of night, so to speak. 
yeah, I think that like just keeping the discourse like and I mean, people mentioned in the grotto, which I think is a fair point, like even though like Twitter is ultimately like a containment device and has a lot of aspects to it that are perfidious and like undermine like the actual like simulation of a public square, it's still like much better than like if we just had to rely on like legacy media for this situation like no one would have any idea what was going on or any way to like actually feel that others you know shared their perspective on it and like those who like understood the horror of what was going on might feel like totally isolated so Mm -hmm. even though i think you know i don't give too much credit to like at jack or like whatever you know for this type of thing because something like this you know is like would exist um and the way in which it's existed has often been like shitty and not ideal or has like you know had certain uh features of it that were designed to like limit its potential in this direction but it's still you know better than uh what we would have otherwise and i think that like people like people say it doesn't matter but people pay attention to it like israel definitely like is upset over how like the social media landscape is going for them as a battlefield i think Oh, it definitely um, seems that way. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's been some interesting reflections last like few weeks about uh, assessing, yeah, like the utility of something like Twitter. And uh, yeah, maybe I think a lot of people, I kind of put myself in this camp or like going from a little more of a middle ground. I feel like the common uh, millennial arc was to be overly optimistic early on with all this social media stuff as uh, focusing almost solely on its positive, liberatory kind of political, social potential. And then, certainly for me, like the mid-2010s up to pretty much recently has been like a disillusionment and basically getting sussed out and also, you know, watching in real time the toxic aspects of these social media platforms and like their dark side really start to rear its ugly head and then kind of really focusing on uh, thinking about, you know, almost from the beginning, like these kind of social media platforms as being like, you know, tools of counterinsurgency and like cultural, you know, management and manipulation and like, you know, like information management, all all these kinds of things, kind of tools of empire. But now when you see that, yeah, like you said, like the the IDF, the Hasbara brigades are, you know, not sending their best, or maybe they are, but it's just not good and it's just not working, (laughs) you know, and you see narrative breakdown um, in terms of like how they're weaponizing these platforms and also things like TikTok, it feels like, you know, they that moves at an even more accelerated speed that is hard for governments to keep up with. So now I'm, I'm maybe more in like a middle kind of like a middle ground of thinking about this type of technology. These social media platforms is like, you know, a new form of technology that was created and then it was sort of captured and shaped and monopolized so that it could be used to like drive discourse and, all these other things that, you know, we talk about in the service of, you know, the empire, let's say. Yeah. And, but also like before, you know, Twitter and everything else, like you had a much more varied ecosystem of people interacting on the internet and like 
the internet itself is such like a vast technology. I guess what I'm saying is like it's almost like the invention of the printing press and like rather than focusing on like was the printing press itself like sus from the beginning um or is it all bad or like you know because right uh, like the printing press obviously and, has You know what I mean like it's Yeah. The potentiality for like the contain like it's I mean not to like you know uh, I don't think that this sort of um new historicist kind of framework i wouldn't you know totally co-sign this but uh, i think that like the subversion and containment paradigm like makes sense in a way where like yes like you know this sort of simulated public square like social media is a device for containment and we even we can even see sometimes in legacy media like uh you know, sometimes like something gets through that it is actually subversive of like the sort of uh, hegemonic narrative or of the sort of uh, mainstream uh, line that is being uh, propounded does sort of leak through rarely, you know, through like someone scheduled an interview that like maybe they sit in a schedule or something like that. And I think that Twitter also has like, of course, overall, like this is uh like the device for containment but that doesn't mean that like the subversive potential of it is totally eradicated and yeah, yeah and in exactly. fact like the way that it shores itself up and the way that like it works so effectively as a tool of containment is by uh having like letting that potential exist however it doesn't mean that like you know in this case i think Certainly there was an attempt to drive the narrative one direction. There was like a very concerted effort, right? And I, I certainly think that uh, Elon's ex is uh, not Amber Heard, um, you know, Twitter. See, this is like why the name is yeah, so yeah. stupid. Because like, but anyway, right. um, yeah, yeah. like oh, uh, God, yeah. his, it has like a much worse like noise to signal ratio where you're being like having like BAP and like every like, you know, Hindu fascist who has $8 to spare, like thrown in your face, <laughs> like talking about oh, how God. like, you know, we need to annihilate all Muslims, uh, especially Palestinians. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, the, it's much it's it's worse than than it was, even though it still uh, wasn't, you know, ideal. But obviously, like uh, it still has uh, you can still break through like this frame of of containment, you know, these devices. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, the printing press and is I've a fine example. Any know, media technology can be talked about yeah. in that way, right? The printing press obviously can be used for like uh, state propaganda for like, you know, to shore up the like, you know, the authority of the powerful. And it can, you know, there could be a renegade or a subversive printing press as well. So, well, because, you know, it's like it, there's all, you know, it's very it's dialectical, you know, it's not just all like this is a tool of the globalists, you know, and therefore like it's bad and like you have to sort of shun it. I don't know. It's Everything's like, an op. There's no hope for anything, you know, um, like, yeah, yeah. We're pushing yeah. back against the thing we allegedly believe is that um, uh, literally everything's everything an op. It's like an op. anything can be anything that's powerful can be utilized as an op is basically as i think what maybe more of our actual stance like is and so anything that has influence you know is naturally everything going that's to a, be, a form anything of that has subversive potential is going to be like focused on to some degree you know well this kind of goes to like a point i've made before about like ideas that like are any idea that's powerful enough 
has like an incredible diversity of potentialities to it where like it can mean something you know it can be deployed for something very good like an idea like islam itself or like communism right mm -hmm. like you know these ideas wouldn't be compelling if there weren't potentialities in them that like could be contradictory like where there are things that like you might really like like is a potentiality in these like ideas and that there's also like in order to have that uh, those positive potentialities like it also has to like you know be it has, has to be possible to you know warp that into something that is uh, negative right so it, like the way you see with you can see this with communism as well where you have people being like this is communist to just be like a complete fascist and like you know <laughs> yeah um, yeah exactly so like you know these sort of like matrices of ideas and like modes of communicate technologies of representation like modes of media are the same where like obviously they have like an incredible diversity of potentialities for like uh you know positive uh things and also negative things but you know the issue is like who has the power uh over this medium you know uh well it, so. it is a medium isn't it channeling yeah. energies right mm -hmm. oh mean, yeah we're gonna actually be talking spectral. a little bit about about media Mediums. It kind of bleeds in a little bit to yeah. what we are uh, well, uh, yeah. going to be talking about in a minute. But mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I mean, I just think that it does seem objectively true to me that if you take all the platforms together right now, all these mediums um, where people are channeling their energies through that, and maybe even more so in like TikTok and like Instagram, which I'm probably on the most, is that I have seen like an overwhelming uh, flood of you know, people speaking out and reposting things and, you know, even with the internet blockade, like making sure that these images are at the forefront, are being seen and at the forefront. And I do feel a little bit of a vibe shift from a few, few weeks ago. We're recording this on November 5th. Obviously, things have gotten even more obviously horrific and genocidal. But on the flip side of that, I'm seeing a lot more people coalescing around the idea of opposing this. Um, and some of the loudest, uh, you know, including some of our, you know, most exalted comedians uh, in <laughs> America are not popping off as hard as they were like a week ago. A couple of them are. But I think it's becoming more obvious, like, you know, if it wasn't already, what's going on here? And this is, you know, a wholesale massacre. Um of an entire people and so you know while i hold very little hope for you know the these uh democrats and stuff uh, yeah they're awful the i mean that's that, like, the a, thing like the fact that a dozen of them are like you know we should have a ceasefire like i i'm not hinging my hopes on them at all but also you know these are the ghouls that are in charge right now yeah and uh I don't know if they're capable of being shamed uh, into being I mean, yeah, that's handmaidens of genocide, then mm -hmm. that's worth a shot because like, we needed to stop. On know? one hand, it's like <laughs> inspiring and like, uh, you know, it's it's heartening that like people on the whole like are, do have a like a generally clear view of what's happening. But it's also it also at least it causes me to despair when I think like, well, is this actually gonna change anything or are, like these people just gonna be like keep going <laughs> you know keep doing what you're doing or like we'll have a humanitarian pause so that you can go back in like even harder you know like is yeah 
you know? And I think that, so I feel like keeping up, the, that's why I feel like, you know, it's important to like keep this at the forefront of like one's mind and not let that, cause they will try to like distract, like they'll try to like pull uh, people into like bullshit. They'll try to like raise up a bunch of things just to like get the pressure off, you know? So I think increasingly so because they're getting more embarrassed, it's getting harder to defend. So they're going to start, you know, I would, I can't, the fact that there was like a schizo mass shooter, like right when they started their ground offensive was like, so like not to go off on a, you know, my own schizo tangent, but just like because it felt like the American media dangling a, a set of shiny keys in front of everybody for like four days. And then it ended up being like, oh, he's just a schizo who like, like, you know, spontaneously developed, uh, you know, auditory hallucinations when he got like ear, uh, <laughs> you know, like hearing aids implanted at like a V. Is that like what a, they a said? I thought that, yeah, I heard that he has hearing voices and that like, you know, the family reported him to the authorities and it was like really one of the most glaring cases of like known to law enforcement. Like he worked for the military, yeah. like the police and the military knew about this issue and yes. no one did anything. I didn't know it was like caused by his hearing aids. I had read that somewhere. Uh, maybe I would want to triple check that, but I'd read that he did have like hearing aids uh, or, you know, he was prescribed hearing aids at some point around the time that this, uh, that this happened. But even if that was uh, a made up addendum, it is true that like he developed schizophrenia uh, way later than, you know, people usually, you know, develop the uh, symptoms of that. Usually it's like in your teens or twenties, but yeah. And like, I think threatened, you know, said like voices are like telling me to like, yeah. you know, go do a mass shooting and they like hospitalized him for two weeks and then his family reported him to the cops and somehow he still was able to get a bazillion guns and like, uh, you know, and then we just don't talk about, you know, the, the constant bombings or that gets put in a back burner for like five days and then, you know, they bring it back and I, I can already feel this kind of uneasiness of like, you know, dear God, like, we need at first it was you know really playing up the sympathy and kind of the 9-11 angle of like this horrible attack and stuff but now that it's uh settled into the genocide phase they're this doesn't look so good and you know they are broadcasting some of these images on like cnn you know i switch between them and al jazeera just to see what the you know the gulf of coverage is like but it does feel like they're on very very uh, shaky ground so they probably will try to distract everybody as much as possible or yeah just like minimize you know uh especially when things are getting messy uh they seem to like not want the cameras on them you know to do yeah. whatever so I don't know, but you know, just as much as uh, just as much as prayer has a kind of liminal power, they've done studies on that, right? Oh you yeah, know, can't quite explain it, but it does seem to have you know yes, they, kind of they, a causal. They, they've done studies, yeah. Um, and I mean, this is a this yeah. is like a dicey the law actually published but... a study on it. Um, it's called the the Quran. Um, no, um, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But, you know, just like I'm not saying posting is the same as uh, praying or making dua, but, you know, you are kind of like putting energy out there through these mediums, you know, and uh, and so that's probably, you know, given that the other side is so like militarily invested in doing that and is, you know, spewing out so much bullshit, um, I think it's like you're almost obligated to like 
do some kind of play some kind of part in the info war you know we we truly are in the age of the info war and uh you know unfortunately alex jones is on like a pretty sus side of it but <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know um, but yeah. I, I do think we're all in a way like this is the, the great people's info war where you know yeah i definitely again, encourage not to people it, but to post and pray for palestine and you know do whatever you can i definitely would encourage people um to do yeah both i think are are needed but yeah we're gonna you know we're gonna do our ooky spooky halloween episode you know which i think uh will does have some uh geopolitical uh interlocks that arise i feel at uh, various points Back in January of 2016, there was a post to the Paranormal subreddit by a user who used a throwaway account to tell the story of how he and one of his friends found a strange effigy in the forest in the Catskill Mountains. They did what you're never supposed to do, and they took the effigy home with them. A majority of the objects in the museum have been donated, and a lot of them come to us from clients or people that we've worked with or people who really want to stay anonymous and they just have something that they want to get rid of and they feel as if there's something attached to them that they're frightened of. Nine times out of ten, the things that people send us don't ever do anything strange for us. But that last 10% is where things get really interesting. And occasionally, there's 1% that changes the way that we think about haunted objects. This turned into a way bigger ordeal than we ever anticipated. I felt like a small kid who was absolutely terrified It seemed that the larger picture was coming into view. I mean, we basically promised the chrome that we were going to take it back. I looked at Dana and I said, we can never do this again. We need to do something about this. Shut it. Never did I ever have anything happen like it did with the chrome. I felt like I was literally looking at a living nightmare. We failed. You have no control over her and you have no control over us. Then it became maximum chaos. Oh my God. We bind it to the nails and we release it. But Well, Carla, yeah. this, this is actually a very interesting choice for the times that we're in right now, early <laughs> November, 2023, yeah. because uh, it has to do with um, tangentially with another conflict that the United States was, you know, heavily involved in by proxy over the last couple years. One that, um, you know, I hate to say it, is uh, definitely dropped from the headlines. You oh, know? yeah. In and, fact, uh, yeah, now... It's probably entering its terminal phase. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard that Time Magazine called uh, Zelensky delusional, and uh, I, I, I heard, I you know, I, I just saw on social media that he was, like, 
you know, please don't forget about us or like whatever, you know, um, we're still fighting. Um, I saw a meme that was just like that screenshot from Toy Story where Andy is just throwing Woody on the oh floor, God. but it's like photoshopped with Zelensky's face. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're broken. I don't want to play with you anymore. Yeah. Um, it's like, it's so <laughs> fucked up, but that's um, literally what just happened. Like, that's what's happening. Like, yeah. you know, I think we felt this a few years ago when this all started that the the brave NATO narrative just really didn't add up. And like you are like sending Ukraine to hell to like give Russia a bloody nose and empowering a bunch of uh, mystically inclined uh, neo-Nazis who worship like some of the worst war criminals and uh, perpetrators of the Holocaust in World War Two. So in a way, it is kind of all connected in a looser sense. I mean, if. We want to talk about a American sponsorship of, you know. Yeah, sort of it really like reached a fever pitch actually right before this massive pivot, right? Because we had that like Canadian Parliament thing where they were like celebrating a neo Nazi. And then people like no, wouldn't a Nazi. Back down. Like a oh, sorry, Nazi, like a banderade yeah, right? from World War no, II. No, I misspoke. Like yeah, he was literally an SS. Right. People, yeah, he was um, he was in the Waffen SS, right? He was like literally straight yes, up. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just so used to saying neo-Nazi because very rarely do you see like actual Nazis like welcome into the halls of parliament to like be applauded and like cheered for by literally everyone in the government. It really was like, something. In yeah, and then people like wouldn't back down either. They wouldn't like admit that well, they did like admit they made a mistake, but also like they kind of like hedge it a little bit where they were like people had to make difficult choices or whatever. Like, it's like, um, I think they also said that like, they implied that like somehow Putin had tricked them into like inviting him. And it's like, no, I think he did that. All by <laughs> himself. Like, like, you uh, know, all right. Or like, you know, we're feeding into like Putler's propaganda about Nazis by like inviting a Nazi to the parliament. Well, a, yes. Ovation. Like, yes. But like, you know, error. it's an I own goal believe. kind of, you know, it's not. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. You would play into the perception of that but seems like you know you you did it Fucking canadian ukrainians they scare the shit out of me i mean like they're they're so proud of like ugh, yeah uh but anyways um i guess we haven't even mentioned the film that we're talking about that potentially yes. relates to this but yeah this might seem like a curveball given all the geopolitics we've been discussing but we're actually you know we we are returning to um, you know, an ooky spooky topic that we had discussed at least once before, I think in our uh, Hopkinsville Goblin Mode episode yes. with the Trill Bellies yeah. uh, from last, almost, you know, two years ago. Wow. Um, Seems... Early 2022. Wow. And I think in that we had discussed the, uh, the Amazon series Hellier, you know, yes. which is uh, one of these... Um, is it an Amazon kind of, thing? Like, well, or, I think it was initially, but maybe yeah. not anymore. I think Hellier Two maybe was on Amazon. Well, they might have been on it, but I'm not sure if like they are like a, you know an Amazon original series, like you know whatever. Like, I forget. Rings of maybe power I'll or, retract that. Yeah, but you but know. quite quite successful in the world of ghost hunting, yeah. documentary sort of Niche reality shows, paranormal smash hit. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's right. Mm -hmm. uh, with uh, what is their weird planet? I think is their production planet weird. Company. I think is, or, sorry, yeah. planet weird. Yeah, and uh, Greg and Dana Newkirk are the married couple that yes. are kind of the the top investigators. Yeah, you know, the, in this the, team, 
the new Ed and Lorraine Warren, the Ed and Lorraine Warren of of our time, that's of the twenty first right. century. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> apparently, <laughs> they sweet. really. Yeah. Um. Well, just to like you know, we're gonna start doing this, but so every hopefully this will be like a little bit of a psychic relief for people. But just want to say, you know, keep keep your eye on the sky. And by the sky, I mean, you know. I guess the uh, Israeli jets that are like you know dropping like tons of bombs on on Palestine, white phosphorus. Um, yeah. yeah, and white phosphorus, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, they are very similar, I think, to the Warrens in a lot of ways. Did you ever like you know read about the Ed and Lorraine Warren or see those the like the movies that came out about them in recent years? I did watch. I forget if we watched. Maybe it was for like. I don't know if it was the Freakin' episode, but at one point I watched one of the newer Conjuring, Conjuring oh, yeah. movies. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have been the one that came out like a couple years ago. And maybe was it a QA? I don't where know. Where we were asked about the Conjuring, maybe? Because were we? I feel like I looked into it a little bit and like read a little bit, but I didn't find the article that you found this week that was talking about Ed Warren's relationship with an underage girl yeah that apparently he he had for years right yeah and i don't think that you know i have no reason to believe that like the new kirks are similar to the warrens in that way um (laughs) you know i don't think that they have like done any uh improprieties like insofar as they like you know or any like massive like moral or sexual crimes or abuses either of them committed at all i mean you know, uh, they did like really heavily promote a Nazi uh, in Hellier, like literally like a Ku Klux Klan member, um, uh, you know, and a, like a very That's active right. uh, Nazi, like very, very, very like big, like keystone of Hellier was uh, the book, uh, The Rebirth of Pan by uh, William Grimstad. Uh, but That's right. yeah, uh, under the pseudonym Jim Brandon. But uh, so, you know, that's probably the most harmful thing they've done. They did apologize for that. Yes, they they did apologize. I guess a few years ago, you know, um, yes. I don't think we were actually I don't know if we were aware of that when we were. I think we mentioned that they that they apologized for or that they like, you know, were because they had been called out for it. So I think that they issued like a, a retraction, you know, or. Yeah, I think that we're not the only haters out there. No, no, no. Certainly it's been mentioned and it's incredibly it's unbelievable that this actually came up again in, in uh, a sort of a different way. But anyway, yeah. So, uh, well, didn't Hellier too have um, what's his name, uh, Alan Greenfield? In he it? was in Hellier Hellier one and two. Okay, he was a big and part of it because he wrote the secret cipher of the UFO knots, which they were using right. as basically like a framework for the entire thing. And did he derive a lot of that book from? Um, from the Pan book from William Grimstad. I forget the connection Not between really. those two guys. There wasn't really a connection between those two. Um, like, I think that uh, the Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts was kind of just like repackaged, like Thelema type stuff, or like sort of uh, Thelema derived m- magics. But yeah, I'm not I don't recall, actually, because I haven't watched it recently, but I don't remember how they like hit upon the rebirth of Pan. Was it like recommended to them or something? I feel uh, like I, the, my impression from what I recall watching both Hellier seasons last time was that Alan Greenfield was really kind of like leading them down a, yeah. a trail that he wanted them to go down and leaving his little cookie crumbs for them to follow. And that 
like perhaps I don't know that he really was like the person that was like feeding them like all right now look at this and now look at this and I don't know just because they were so that they're very kind of open and positive and they don't really get the thing about the hellier team is like they don't really get sussed out in the same way that say we do um they get spooked by like oh my god like that crucifix just fell like oh my god and like you yeah know, blah 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 oh, things yeah. like that mm-hmm. like they get spooked and you know that that's the thrill they chase but they don't get sussed out by like people's affiliations you know they do not like they seem to be very they have a certain understanding of like the hum of of the world i guess that they sort of operate based on but I feel like the human side of things or like the political dimension of things is like not very present for Greg or Dana or any of their like team members, I would say, like doesn't really seem to be. uh, I don't think that Greg or Dana has said free Palestine um, or mentioned. Oh, definitely. No, Uh, but they have they have stood up against, you know, basically like right wing kind of, uh, you know, misogyny in paranormal spaces and yes. kind of things like that like in a kind of milk toast but like you know a, a real uh, taking a, a kind of liberal stand on things and saying like you know we definitely don't condone uh platforming any of this like you know right-wing occult or right-wing paranormal kind of bullshit we stand against bigotry etc etc like we would never platform a hateful like neo-nazi and blah 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 so i just wanted to check that alan greenfield like like remind me of where his sus levels are at specifically in terms of his he's a little bit associations he's he's a little bit he's not as sus as william grimstad which is almost impossible but he's you know he plays things a little bit close to the vest he's like intentionally cryptic and a thing about Hellier is like to what extent does he like know more than he lets on? To what extent is he leading them in certain directions? Like did like because a lot of this, as is the case with the movie that we're discussing this week, their new film, The Unbinding, a lot of this is based on like sort of taking uh, semi-anonymous email correspondence on faith, you know. And I think that is what caused the interest in the rebirth of Pan was maybe a clue in one of these anonymous emails that they received from people who are like following them or whatever. So. That was part of the thing of like what's going on with Alan Greenfield. I and, mean, you know, I think he's he is kind of into like left hand path stuff or has been at one time. But I think like politically speaking, I think he's aligned with Greg and Dana's uh, general stated values of like, you know, we should get any of this right wing racism out of like the occult, uh, you know, or, and things like that. Um yeah yeah okay because i noticed that yeah alan greenfield is still you know uh promoting greg and dana's work like he's very supportive of like i think he was supportive of this film the unbinding yeah. mm-hmm. and posted some supplemental things about it but like the weird thing about the unbinding is i mean they got in a little tiny bit of hot water again for uh, like a few seconds of b-roll of like a church uh, in an area that they were kind of investigating that uh, once again has pretty like strong links to like the political right and particularly like sort of, I don't know, neo-pagan like right-wing ultranationalism, which like they uh, issued another apology for um, yeah. and said like it wasn't our intention to like promote or like cast any asper- 
I mean, that's the other thing that they were like, we're not casting aspersions on like, you know, the Slavic immigrant communities of upstate New York. It was a weird statement, kind of like, I don't actually remember. I remember like the statement they made about the rebirth of Pan that I saw. I mean, maybe they made one like in their on their Patreon or like to their fans or whatever. But the one I saw was like Greg Newkirk posting. You know, since this is coming up again, I'll say it again. The reason we don't actively promote the rebirth of Pan is because there are rumors that the author, listed as Jim Brandon, is William Grimstad, who you can read more about below. And, you know, someone posted about, you know, how he wrote the six million reconsidered and like, you know, was like one of the biggest Holocaust deniers like uh, in the U.S. Nazi movement, incredibly influential uh, Holocaust denier, yeah, and the editor of the National Socialist, uh, you know, Workers' Party newsletter, White Power, very super involved neo-Nazi. And that was incredible because that book was really like the cornerstone of that later season two. Like it all was emanating from that. So, but just to say like there are rumors, like, no, there aren't rumors. Like, come on. But anyway. This guy's uh, a Nazi. Like, yeah, well, yeah. And also, like, this guy is Jim Brandon. Like, it's known. Like, it's not a rumor. But um, there's some rumors like you guys that, uh, fucked Anton up Long and you could have easily David Myatt. You know, yeah. It's the like other that, thing oh, is like, like it's almost it's even more like even more than that, honestly, like because mm-hmm. Jim Brandon and William, a.k.a. William Grinstead doesn't deny it, whereas Anton Long at least does like and they could have easily like, do they not have Google like they're Googling something, you know, so that's the thing. We'll get into this a little bit. Uh, yeah, like that, the research one of my skills are a little bit like uh, it, assuming that it's all good familiar. faith. Like you know, yeah. that, but this wasn't as like what happened in the Unbinding wasn't as egregious as that. But it still was like in a way kind of pivotal to the movie. Like the connection that this like one shot of like a uh, Ukrainian native faith church. Mm-hmm. Like we'll talk about like you know what it was like in a bit. Like was you know associated with but maybe we should you know go through yeah. the the plot of the film because we we've should been go through the, like the film because that i mean while, that, that yeah. <laughs> we'll have to talk about that because it's like they really don't i got really excited when they went to like a slavic like you know a slavic studies like professor to like ask them about i'm like oh finally they're getting like a serious you know expert yeah. to like talk but then like it's like okay a couple minutes and then back to like vibes like you know and i felt like, kind right, of like, bad for that woman a little bit i mean i'm sure she must have i hope that she signed off like on her representation in the film because i i sure got the did. sense that they did not like listen to her really but we'll talk about why like as we should we should go through the plot but yeah, you know just yeah. to my original point about like there are similarities with the Warrens even though like obviously it seems like Ed Warren like has like a lot of like skeletons in his closet and you know that I would not necessarily assume as people have like you know in terms of these like sexual crimes and like secret like child brides and things like that but the worst thing they've done probably uh, is that I that I know of is promote the rebirth of Pan so aggressively in Hell or season two but um there is definitely a similar and they definitely position themselves as like the anti-warrens you know but there is definitely yeah because it's worth saying that the warrens were catholic right yeah they were very even though they were were like a weird like were they charismatic catholics they they seem to be kind of or you know what i think ed warren was like an unrecognized or he was sorry he was quote-unquote recognized but he was like you know a lay quote-unquote demonologist and Lorraine Warren was supposed to have some kind of power, like clairvoyance, that like you know she would use. So it was kind of like a similar thing where they each have their um, specialty. 
yeah. where yeah. you know ed was more of the like academic type like kind of a priest but like not a priest you know um yeah. and yeah. Uh, lorraine had the more like intuitive abilities and they also had another thing that was similar which is that they had that museum you know of like haunted of put like you know cursed objects that uh you know mm -hmm. the famous uh, annabelle doll was oh, also yeah, yeah. you know in right so it's like evil curse like raggedy and doll yeah there's like been a bunch of annabelle movies like kind of branching off yeah. of the conjuring series which is like a big thing and like ed and lorraine warren like come off like you know it's a beautiful love story in that and it's it's funny because apparently there's like a stipulation in like the movie contract they signed with Lorraine Warren where like he cannot be like, you know, portrayed like having any kind of extramarital relationship or like do you, having anything to do with like child pornography or like something like Jesus that. Like, Christ. yeah, it's like a oh real and like I think some entertainment lawyer read in some article was like, I've never seen like a contract stipulate like these things like in this very specific way. But wow. anyway, but I think the main similarity between them is that like in their work they both like create like a very strong like narrative and like a story around what they're doing. Like mm -hmm. most like paranormal stuff, like if you like, you know, it's interchangeable. I think we were just talking about it in a recent Q&A, like the sort of paranormal content that's on the Travel Channel and stuff like that or on History Channel. Yeah. Most of these episodes are like totally interchangeable. There's no like progression and there's no point. It's just like, oh, you know, this like house is possessed by like a ghost who doesn't know it's dead or something, like, you know, something like that. Like this jump old, scare, jump scare. Yeah. Like, like oh, yeah. you know, our ghost box is lighting up. And that's because like the old, you know, in the United States, it's probably like all the slaves who were tortured on this plantation, uh, you know, are upset or whatever. And like that's why it's yeah. on History Channel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's why it's on History Channel. Yeah. And it's all like pretty boring like it doesn't have the sense like that the content that i feel like both the uh, new kirks and the warrens content or like their sort of persona and their self-presentation has where like for the warrens like this is like a spiritual war you know they're like the whole idea like of like a demonic haunting like i think the warrens like really aggressively like popularized like nowadays like if you watch like a haunting or like any of these like sort of travel channel like history channel shows almost every haunting is like a demonic haunting because it's more exciting you know where it's like uh but i think that the warrens definitely played a huge role in popularizing that idea because it's much more exciting you know that like sure. they were in this spiritual battle where like these demons are like coming in and they all have like per like you know there's like, things like annabelle and i think that the warrens made a bunch of stuff up too you know like made a bunch of stories up to sort of like you know bolster their brand um yeah, like, i'm not a pedophile <laughs> yeah like such as i'm not a pedophile we have like you know an yeah, exemplary yeah. marriage and stuff like that but um, yeah the movie's yeah. really like that it kind of yeah. evangelical washes them too i think it like mentions once that like they're catholic but like they come off as like the most evangelical people ever which i think is kind of how they act like they did act like that so yeah it's like, probably it, I, yeah, yeah i see what you mean in the terms of having like kind of a, a like charismatic catholic vibe i mean it's certainly like a strange thing like you know it's i i wouldn't put it well, under usually like the, the priest like, you know the catholic church has priests that do exorcisms. yeah like, like they why have are you collecting these cursed objects and you're like this is the safest place for them it's like nah i don't know if that's true like you know like the whole excuse of like oh if we destroyed them that would just destroy the vessel you know we need to keep them in a museum and like charge admission for it and like eh, i don't know about that but uh, anyway no, i uh, worship them no i'm just kidding um but okay like, that is where this film the unbinding begins is them sort of talking about their museum that they've their museum of cursed objects that yeah the new Kirks also now. have one yeah and they also yeah. like in their content like in this movie there's a story 
which is like very, you know, it gets intense. But anyway, yeah, so they have this museum. It starts off kind of talking about their love story, actually, I feel like, you know. Um, yeah, Greg Greg always had a crush on Dana. Um, yeah. But as the, this actually makes sense, like as a child of like devout evangelicals, he, I guess, was uh, expected, he said, to become a preacher. Yeah, like a Baptist mm, minister, right? His dad's a Baptist minister. He's I saying. think so, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, but Dana was a witch, you know, yeah. from her early teenage years. And so that was a little scary, but also kind of exciting. And I guess they had two rival ghost hunting crews that were independently like, a very active uh, activity, I guess. Are they from Kentucky? I forgot. Or from Southern Ohio? They're from Southern Ohio, right? I yeah, I want to say pretty that sure they are because they keep driving down to Hellier. Um, oh, or like originally, I want to say okay. they're from Pennsylvania originally. Um, well, yeah, but they you know they both kind of came together, and uh, you know Greg is looking very stylish in this movie. I think he got kind of a, a little bit of a Hollywood makeover, and he's yeah, kind of Troy, wearing Pennsylvania is where they are okay. uh, originally from. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean he he's get he's kind of like you know settling into a little bit of a i mean i felt this in other things he oh, did actually, like that okay. live he's from troy and she's and... from kitchener ontario sorry yeah oh um oh, weird okay yeah All right. so well, and they somehow became rival ghost hunting teams but then they merged when they realized you know yeah and i guess they wow this is an interesting article uh from uh so today.com <laughs> He cruelly trolled her online. Years later, this ghost hunting duo got married. What? He, cru- he cruelly trolled her. I guess, you know, he oh was God. doing like the well. hair pulling thing. Yeah. Ghost Hunters Inc. hatched a cruel trolling prank on Matthews. It's Dana's maiden name and her friends. We're talking evil genius stuff, said Matthews. Ghost Hunters Inc. made an almost exact copy of the girly Ghost Hunters GeoCities website. This is so, like, old internet. Uh, Except they changed some of the quotes to make them sound stupid and replace all the photos with the Ghost Hunters Inc. team similarly posed but in drag. (laughs) Interesting. Okay, so I guess... And, wow, they really actually had a big fight about this. Greg said, I was a jealous boy with a crush, and I was kind of a jerk when I was a kid. It's like when the little boy in the schoolyard throws sand at a girl that he likes. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's hilarious now, but at the time we were pretty annoyed more than anything else. We just decided, no, we're never talking to these people again, and we just shut the door. Wow! So they, you know, she cut off contact for a while, but I guess he wow. apologized, and uh, the rest is is paranormal romance history. Yeah. So now you know they've got they've got their crew. I am blanking on most of the other guys' names, but uh, uh, it, was one of them Tyler? Travis. Tyler. Travis. T- Tyler or Travis? Um, Ty- um, yeah, Tyler. Yeah, I don't even remember either. Um, I remember I, him doing the Estes method a lot. In I watched the, uh, this movie like where, too. is it Strand? Yeah, Tyler Strand. And Carl Pfeiffer is like the one who films it. And he had, I, I feel like, yeah. was Carl even in this? I feel like I didn't yeah, see him. Yeah, a little bit. A little oh, okay. Bit. Yeah, all right. He got a, he got um, a little Chiron with his name. Well, yeah, I mean o- occupation. Um, right, right. Okay, word, word. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And so they kind of rose to prominence doing Hellier, which we've discussed before. And you know, there's something that happens when I watch these series where it all just like blends together in my head <laughs> after a certain point, and I like forget what they even like allegedly like what thing of significance like they've come across. But they seem they feel very convinced, and they are kind of telling a narrative their own specific narrative you know which they uh they kind of open this movie with you know and they talk about all these objects and how you know people will send them 
their allegedly cursed objects because in their experience, when something is cursed, it's sort of attached to, I guess, either the space that it's in or like the person that owns it. Yeah, like, it's kind of like a uh, an egregore, like tulpa type thing where like people's relationship with the object is what makes it haunted. So yeah. they need to like once they send it to Greg and Dana's museum, like maybe it's still haunted, but they can like, you know, because they're not experts. towards Greg and Dana. Yeah, maybe um, necessarily most yeah. of the time. And most um, like haunted objects are like not as big of a deal. But there's like this one is about like an amazing and incredible special haunted object. Yeah, that they said found nine times out of ten, it's nothing. Um, one times out of ten, it's something, and like point one times out of ten, it changes everything yeah. you thought you knew. And dun dun dun. So yeah, they uh, they talk about. I mean, this it adds up to ten point one, but you know, whatever. Yeah, but this so. is one such case, and once again, it starts with Reddit, which is a little bit of shaky territory to like start your sort of the, like the chain of custody is a little bit wonky. Um, in yeah. Terms of, At least Hellier started with like a personal email, you know, to yeah. him based on like his ghost hunters Inc website, which is like a defunct website at that point. So that's like a little bit more mysterious, like still could easily like be like someone trolling him. And at least there was something like concrete around this. Like they did. But anyway, yeah. So there's like a Reddit yeah, post yeah. is what started this. A Reddit yeah. post, and somebody had, uh, I guess, these two guys were going hiking. Yeah, wigged wigged hiker throwaway was the wigged poster. Yeah, um, <laughs> wigged hiker throwaway and his friend were hiking up in the Catskill Mountains in upstate New York, and they came across this little wooden statue yeah. that uh, of a female figure with. A bunch of nails like nailed into its eyes and a little noose around its neck. They took it home with them. And according to this Reddit post, Wigged Hiker's friend quickly started Who's an noticing atheist. That, like, yeah, he doesn't believe oh, in this he's stuff. All totally right. Atheist, he's a yeah. hardcore atheist. Okay. Well, he's on Reddit. So yeah, yeah exactly. Of course, they both are. Yeah. One of yeah. Um, so yeah. So weird things start happening and his friend starts getting really freaked out. And, you know, I wrote in the notes early on when they were like at for before they like reveal, you know, the mythology, like a few of the things they were describing. I wrote like dog man question mark. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it sounded like the heavy breathing of like my grandfather after he had a tracheotomy, and it's, it's like, like a panting <sighs> dog man. Yeah, and I'm like that. That ain't no man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or you know, not fully a man. Uh, I've I've heard that snarling sound before, and also the fact that the dog, the guy's dog, was oh, yeah, terrified. Was, he was spooked the at, Yeah, he was I spooked mean, by the the statue they got. Yeah. Um, I'm like, uh, you know, hopefully maybe it's going in dogman territory, but unfortunately not really. Um, yeah. And I guess this culminates in like the the friend of Wigged Hiker comes and like stays on his couch for a while because he's, so, he's scared. so scared. Yeah, because it keeps moving. Like, that's the thing. Like some really moving. like parent, like really like horror movie type stuff happens where, you know, there's like a, a smell of old pond water. Uh, so like, you know, that is like suffusing the house. And he'll, like, put the statue down on the desk and then, like, look away. And then it, like, you know, reappears, like, in another room, like, every night, you know. Oh, and I think even before Wigged Hiker's friend, like, goes, because, you know, some other stuff happens when they go back to the house. But the thing that I think causes Wigged Hiker's friend to, like, run in the first place is that he sees, like, muddy, wet footprints, like, on the floor. Yeah. 
you know, of his mm-hmm. house, right? So it's like really spooky. Yeah, really. Okay, um, and you know, this is this is all like I think, uh, you know, stylistically rendered in reenactments and like yeah, is genuinely. That's an important thing know, about this movie. Like not only is there like docudrama typical like reenactments they do on any type of show like this, a lot of it is reenacted. Like there are yeah. some things that they actually got footage of, but like even some of their like investigation and stuff is reenacted, yeah. which is and it's very unusual. like sti- it, it, it's yeah. well it's well done. It's definitely a cut above your average like you know History Channel ghost hunter oh, show. Yeah. I think yeah for know. sure yes I think so. I think that's why like they have such a devoted following because like as I said like a lot of that stuff is incredibly boring or lame or like hasn't mm-hmm. you know even like lower standard for like what research is like so yeah but. And just a kind of goofiness, like they they pride themselves on kind of really earnestly taking this seriously. So it, we could take, you know, at their word thus far that, okay, there's an object they found that looks really creepy and weird things are happening when this guy brings it home. And then I think after spending a few days away, they go back to the house and the dog is afraid to go inside. And then they go in and the whole place is like trashed. I think there are wet footprints on the ground again, and I think there's a, is there like kind of a ding in the wall from uh, where it looks like the statue was like thrown? Yeah, yeah, that's not And then part of this, landed yeah. on the floor. Then they both claim to have like an incredibly scary, like liminal sort of vision or encounter. Of, yeah, they see like a full apparition. Yeah. Mm hmm. A um, creepy old naked like woman like dripping wet like in the corner of the room. Yeah, and, and that they, uh, that's important okay. in a way because that's all from wigged hikers email to Greg, and okay. like that's not like the rest of the stuff you actually can find some of it on Reddit like from back then when people were like, oh, you should like tell Greg Newkirk about this. He's like an expert in haunted objects, and like yeah, you know he like pops into the thread. You can see it. It's all there. Like. The stuff about, like, seeing, like, a wet woman, like, that's a little bit, like, you know, that's basically, like, their, you have to take their word on that. Like, not to say that, you know, they're lying, but, you know, it's a well, little bit. So yeah. what did, what did Wigged Hiker actually say in his original Reddit post? Because Everything up to have. the point of, like, basically all the stuff in there, like, it's moving around, like, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's spooky. All that stuff, you know, how do I get rid of it? Like, what should I do? But not the story about the dripping wet woman. That's like something that isn't there. Um, so that hadn't happened yet. The like whole thing the of like they, going back go to back. get it, yeah, because they went I back see. to get it to mail it to Greg. I see. Um, I see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did he publish like emails from uh, Wig Tiger, like talking about that original experience? Because they just he kind actually of published it in email form. I don't remember if they showed them the documentary. I think that they just yeah like sort of narrate it. But I think he has like published the text like on his website and stuff like that. Um, or in like articles. That, they, hmm, okay. Yeah, but I, I mean, you that can't would find be it on Reddit because it's not Reddit. You know, that yeah. would be an interesting sort of data point to keep. It would because the 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 whole it, thing of like the old woman is pretty key, right? To their whole theory, of and like even what's to this because the whole notion that this is like a female statue, like it could be, it could yeah. be. Like I'm not saying that it's not necessarily like, but I I also feel like it could go either way. You know, like the statue, yeah, like yeah. if you didn't have that. The whole idea this is representing a female, you know, it's built on a little bit shakier ground. It could. Sure. And, you but know, it's very, it's a do... very like crude, like icon, you know, it's very, very basic. Like it's not, uh, you know, 
Yeah, and it seems to be missing something that w- it was holding in its hand, which seems to have been like pried out of it. Um, yeah, that's one thing they notice right away. But okay, but you know, we can. I guess we can. Maybe I will say know, also that that could be like a symptom of like the just the whittling, you know, not being super good. You know, if there's like a divot in between the hands, which are carved out of the body. The whole inference that there was something there at one point, like maybe its hands are kind of extended. So again, like some of the reading, some of the inferences and interpretations like I could buy. But like, yeah. you know, that's definitely not certain that it was. Holding yeah, something. yeah. This is kind of yeah. speculative, but um, I guess we can, you know, they treat now, it like it's certain. But, of course. It, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, but we could try to operate in good faith that uh, that basically le- like let's just assume for the sake of paranormal investigation that you know we know that he wrote this original reddit post so uh unless it's a completely elaborate you know arg set up by greg and dana then we can assume that you know it happened the way they said where somebody posted on the paranormal subreddit and then somebody you know said you should reach out to greg newkirk and then he did that makes perfect sense and then in the process of when they decided you know greg basically offers to like you know, if you want to mail it to me, if you don't feel safe holding on to it or whatever, you know, we can examine it and get it away from you, whatever. And then, according to the documentary, when these guys go back to the house, that's when they find everything trashed. Like, the the statue has been kind of thrown across the room, and then they catch, like, this creepy apparition of this old, wrinkly woman. That's kind of like presumably all they know at this point in terms of information and then i forget if the guys did they grab the statue with them and leave or did they like go back again and like grab it and put it in a box and mail it either way i think that they like they apologized to it again because like that was something that they were told to do to begin with was like to apologize right. to it yeah um, okay okay the whole thing of like the old woman it does come up in some of greg's articles like he mentions it I'm not sure if he ever like actually other than in the oh yeah here he he pushed it he published it on like one article yeah when we were standing in the hallway talking to this thing his dog started barking like crazy outside and when we went to see what was going on we both thought we saw a woman standing in the dark corner of his living room she was totally naked really old and dripping water and her eyes sort of glowed in the dark she was hunched over near his shelves we both freaked the fuck out and ran outside and this was in the middle of the day whoever it was wasn't there and then we went back in when we went back in we grabbed the statue and apologized again, wrapped it in a pillowcase and put it in a box. He's just going to send it to you. So, okay. yeah. I mean, assuming okay. this is like a, you know, like not a fabricated email, which, I you know, I think it's more likely that if anyone's running an ARG situation here or like a, any kind it, of deception, it would be, it would be the tiger. Redditors. Yeah. Who like carved yeah, yeah, this thing themselves, themselves, you know? Yeah, exactly. Or just set it up because like they wanted uh to be on a yeah to spook somebody uh, spooky yeah. show or maybe they had more nefarious intentions but yeah extension your classic extension situation yeah we can i think like le- we can still yeah le- let's operate from the point of okay all right we could take this uh at face value for the time being so they get this statue and not long after that they recall some spooky incidents start happening to greg and dana probably the most you know, vivid one that occurs, which is only shown in like reenactment and narration is they leave it in a room and then they hear a crash. Greg goes in and he walks in and he almost steps on a little figurine of Jesus. 
that has been ripped off of a crucifix on the wall with mm-hmm. like one hand still nailed. And he says that, you know, it was held up by a single nail, that crucifix. So whoever pulled it off would have had to like hold the crucifix and like yank Jesus like yeah. very hard. Mm-hmm. And then he looked down and the little statue, you know, the crone is what they call it at this point. Because they surmise that it looks like an old witch kind of figure. Yeah, and because of the old dripping woman and everything. So Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he looks down and he sees the crone just sitting there. It's like, oh my God. Like, it's... uh, But, you know, he's quick to say that it doesn't mean that the crone is evil. It just means that the crone is upset. And maybe there's something triggering about that Mm -hmm. Jesus statue. And we shouldn't rush to judgment. You know, uh, it just means that, you know, it was sort of a lashing out or maybe crying out so that gets their attention yeah and then i forget you they know tell a couple of other like stories like well first they're like you know the crone keeps causing all these you know wacky incidents uh like someone who was watching a live stream of them says that the crone like came into her dreams and said that she was like putting nails in greg's mouth while he was sleeping or whatever <laughs> you know like Again, you know judging. like there's a bunch of like little anecdotes about the crone and like how spooky it is and everything uh like they go to like paracon which i guess is some kind of like paranormal convention and like some guy is like i came all the way here to see the crone like please let me see it and like you know they take it out of the box and he immediately starts having a seizure um right like jesus yeah i mean so so you know they're pretty convinced that this thing has uh some kind of you know uh whatever you want to call it you know power Mm -hmm. uh maybe slightly dangerous power uh attached to it they start to kind of go looking for answers Actually, no. First, what they do Which, is like, they do that's something. That's a big complaint that, I feel like about like this movie, like where you know that uh, even you know other people uh, who are generally less uh, you know known as haters than we are, um, like have even brought up like why? Where's the interview with the guy who had the seizure? Like where's the Zoom interview? Come on, like right? Like don't you think that he will be willing to do it as long as he's okay? Yeah, they don't. It seems like he I was know, okay right? afterwards, right? Or because I think they would have said if he wasn't. Um, that's right it's a very like dramatically rendered like sees like <laughs> yeah <laughs> like you know it's like very uh scary but you're right they don't talk to him afterwards I don't they know. don't talk to very many people in this at all other than like a few like they're friends mostly and like one other person who you mentioned like that professor of like yeah, yeah like, like russian and slavic yeah. studies professor yeah. um mm-hmm. who gets a few minutes and yeah there's really not much you're right like there's not much besides that's them kind of like just talking to you i mean also like people in their team and also they do something which no paranormal team has ever done before and they decide to 3d print this haunted object so that you know once they lay it to rest or like dispense with it they could still have like a perfect replica to sort of study and like have for their museum but, you know, that this one's a little like I guess most of their haunted objects are okay to keep in a museum, but this yeah. one is too volatile. This one had to go in the box. Yeah. It had figured. to go in the yeah. box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So they start on that process, which they're very psyched about. And like, I don't know, it's like an interesting concept, right? Like if you three D print a Quran, is it actually the Quran? Like Yeah. Well that's actually thing. been like, like a, a fifth debate, you know. Like, you were saying you were saying that, that yeah, I think like in the our sort last of wax episode. cylinder on uh, yeah. records like this that is that the Quran. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, and our, our synthesizer. Uh, yeah, I assume that we a 3D printing that. of the Quran, well, if it had the Quranic text, then it would be considered the Quran. But anyway, yeah, so... But yeah, so, I mean, Guy is a seizure. They decided to 3D print it, and then, <laughs> yeah. you know... but The then 3D printing they... thing is, like, probably, like, the most like compelling again like it's hard to say like what happened you know we just have like the word of these people involved like on it but i feel like that's the most compelling like piece of like evidence that's actually produced in this which is like what happens when they try to 3d 3d print it which i grant is confusing because i'm not like an expert on 3d printing uh or like what it entails or like how this could have happened and i don't even know i didn't really understand the reasoning for why they had to do this but for some reason they had to like uh separate like in the the file the scan of the chrome they had to like separate the head like from the body and somehow like the file you know without them touching it without them doing anything got like manipulated and there are like these remember this part where there's like these fingers like coming out of the neck like the you know the sort of separated neck ai yeah it's like a (laughs) weird yeah it does seem like an ai generated thing i mean maybe that is like what happened like maybe it was some kind of like auto completion thing where it thought like yeah. You know, can 3D printing software do that if it has like an AI component? I'm not sure exactly or like it I didn't it because miss they were some like the really, the you know, they're really really fingers. Like it's not ambiguous either. Like they have fingernails. They really to me they seem like fingers for sure. Like um, it missed the fingers on the actual hand, right? It didn't scan the and maybe it put them on the neck well, like, like something like that. I mean, no one's hand according to them was like involved or anything. You know, like that no one's hand got scanned like what wasn't there like the you know they couldn't like get the nails to be picked up because like they were too like small or too thin i guess so they couldn't scan those but yeah i think they wanted to like they wanted to do something with a noose so they had to remove the head but yeah for some reason in doing that according to them like it just generated this like totally like photorealistic or not photorealistic but like very obvious hand or fingers at least not a complete hand i see okay like real fingers not like statue fingers real fingers well not yeah not the fingers like that it has which aren't really fingers like it just has like kind of like two big planks in its hand again like it's pretty crude like you can look it up no offense to the artist like uh, or the statue i guess you know not to uh, give any kind of reality to this because you know we don't promote shirk on this program but yeah
so they they do the Estes method after the whole three after they start the whole three D printing process, right? Then they do their classic Estes method, which you know, honestly, I'd just like to try it one day, just to like see for myself, like you know, with like a spirit bot. The Estes what they do method is, like, scene in this what didn't i didn't love it as much or like i i didn't feel like it was as uh well done as the ones from hellier i don't know what did you think about it? well i yeah, yeah like i i found it to be assuming it is uh you know authentic uh to be i felt like they had pretty like direct communication with uh in this one and they don't do it as many times so i feel like they only do like one estes method in this. yeah i mean to and recap so sorry as you were saying i, so yeah, I interrupted I you I'm, it, I'm conscious of it yeah but um the, you know, i was describing what the estes method is yeah um mm-hmm. that's when you know classic ghost hunter like they use a little spirit box you know kind of radio frequency tuner yeah. thing mm-hmm. uh, but they've you know they've taken it a step further which honestly is like probably not a bad idea where they're trying to talk to whatever the object is or you know whatever spirits in the space and you're supposed to get like little blips of kind of like garbled communication out of the spirit box but what they've done is they put like noise canceling headphones and a blindfold over the kind of medium designated medium and they're listening to the spirit box and the headphones and like everybody else in the room is also listening to the spirit box, but like the the medium can't hear what anybody else is saying. So they can't hear the human side of the conversation. Yeah. So the idea would be it's like more reliable, you know, basically to to have them say whatever they're hearing while you're talking to the thing. And then, I mean, the way it, it does kind of sync up, like I, I'm still curious about that whole thing. Like really, you can just buy a spirit box off of Amazon and like talk to a spirit. You know, yeah. all these shows purport to do it, but like, you know, at the same time, you could say, oh, is it like confirmation bias? Obviously, if you're a medium and you can hear the questions being asked, that kind of pollutes that that does open the door to confirmation bias. Right. Because like you want to hear something that makes sense. That's an answer to whatever people are asking. But if you have no idea, then, you know, presumably you're actually yeah it's kind of like a random like radio scanner sort of it's like scanning random frequencies and things like that you know so it's not yeah too difficult yeah to, like, i'd be curious to know about the specifics of like how it actually works in terms of like the scanning the frequency bands and like how you know is it the kind of thing where it's like it hits on one second of like a music station and you hear like one song lyric and then you know that kind of thing or i'd like to i'd actually like to hear the debunkers like explanation of why spirit boxes are bullshit because it's like, I don't know, the audio they're using, unless, again, they're completely staging it, and this is all show business, mm-hmm. you know, it sounds like pretty much like these are semi-intelligible words. Like, they're not reaching that hard, you know, where it's like... Well, a lot of the time when you hear, like, EVP, I mean, I guess EVP is a little bit different, but there definitely is a, uh, some interpretation that happens sometimes with, uh, you know, and this I feel like is kind of in the same category of like electronic voice phenomena where like, you know, sometimes you'll hear like ghost hunters say like, oh, he said this. And like, if they don't prime you and tell you what they heard, like there's no way that you would hear the same thing. And sometimes like when people are explaining the EVP they found, like, an, you know, 
I misunderstood what they were telling me it said or like I missed what I was supposed to be hearing and then I just heard like what I was supposed to be hearing or what I thought I was supposed to be hearing and not what I actually was um Mm. so I feel like a lot of it is like prime like a lot of it's very open to interpretation which is basically what the SD method is because you're like it basically just builds the interpretation into the thing where it's not like we're hearing the actual EVP so we can judge for ourselves like what we what is being heard like whether these are the actual words um yeah. and you know it's really like the person's interpretation so yeah um, the, the people are having a conversation with an interpretation that is kind of a, you know i don't know like double blinded in a way to make it more pure but it still is an interpretation at the end of the day yeah it, what you're saying so like there, yes. there there's probably a lot of like mutual suggestion going on because even the human speakers are hearing what like the medium is quote saying and then probably like crafting their next question like based on that so it's still yeah it's kind of hard to like really separate the intention of the medium even if they're not hearing what the other people are saying you know what i mean like determining kind of where their head is at and what they think is being said yeah etc like our brain can play complicated tricks on us yeah so, i mean it's a little bit different because i mean basically like if you want like what the debunker explanation would be is that like this is just like a radio that just works on like human the human impulse to like pattern recognition and like you know create like creating patterns out of things like this is basically just a radio cycling through am and fm frequencies that will occasionally pick up on like a clear word and occasionally like you know one or two like it's yeah cycling very quickly and then yeah eventually you'll get some kind of thing cutting through the white noise or some kind of sound that is then interpreted as a word i'd like to know if it's constantly sweeping back and forth or if it like stops when it like hears something like a seek button on a radio because i feel like have you ever turned your radio dial like really fast just like i don't know like and see what it sounds like Uh, i feel like you you know it must be going at a rate that is faster than yeah do in a normal radio because i feel like you don't get that from just like turning the knob back and forth really fast like it's i don't know yeah like like you wouldn't be on a station long enough to hear a word unless it's like scanning relatively slowly so i don't know i don't know i wish i like it i wish they weren't like 300 dollars or whatever like i would totally buy one just <laughs> uh, even though um, it's probably like a ouija board you're like talking to jen but um, anyways at this point and actually you'll have to remind me like at what point do they have their aha moment where they realize that all of this, you know, the strange phenomena around this crone object has to do with Ukrainian folklore? <laughs> well, okay. So first of all, the 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 message session is important, and what I found to be like not as for what for whatever reason, maybe I'm wrong, but for whatever reason, I maybe they were just selling it better, but I felt like the Estes method session, or maybe it was filmed differently. I felt like the Essie's method sessions in Hellier, I really felt like the person, like they were, the headphones seemed like really big or like, you know, they really were like on there. Like I, I wasn't convinced that Dana and like they're in a hotel room and everything. Like, whereas in Hellier, they're on like some old porch and you know, the, I, I felt like a few places in Hellier. I was, yeah, I wasn't convinced that Dana couldn't hear the human side of the conversation, you know, Ooh, to be honest. Shots fired. Sorry. Shots fired. You know, wow. like. And I'm not, again, like, I'm not saying that it was, like, on perp, you know, but, like, again, like, a lot of it has to do, like, this is, like, a form of mediumship and stuff like that, you know? There's, like, a lot of, like, you know, as you said, like, liminal things that can, like, slip through, you know? There's there's certainly some priming at play, right, where, like, the person has certain expectations for, like, what to hear that, like, can be 
you know, and I think part of what I mean, to their credit, like that's part of their framework, I think that like there's a human element in like paranormal experiences, right? That like in some ways there's like a, an aspect of exchange to this, like in the sort of John Keel tradition that is referred to a lot in, in Hellier, as we said in the in our episode with the Trillbillies on, on the goblin topic. So anyway, this is a key part because that is sort of the groundwork for the whole theory that emerges to guide this the rest of this film. <laughs> Because they hear, like, a couple of, of things. Like, you know, mostly it's, like, Dana's, like, feeling pain. I think she actually feels pain. And she also, like, hears, That's like, right. pain, right? So the idea is, like, the crone is, like, crying out for help in some way. And then she hears, like, the words, like, brother Bidum. <laughs> you know, uh, do you remember this part? Yeah, yeah, brother Bidum. Okay. Yeah, they hear, like, the words, like, bit, like you know, brother Bidum or something. They'll, they'll latch onto that as, like, something that comes out of this this session. So... Out of this starts to percolate this idea that, first of all, like that this object like needs help and like needs to be treated with compassion. And Greg has this line where it's like, if you hear a scream coming out of like a dark alley, you might think like, oh, well, do you think I'm going to go help this person or do you think, oh, this is a setup, you know, like for us, like the first instinct is like always to help. So like they're like kind of like conscious, like, OK, well, maybe there's some like manipulation here, like we're reading it wrong, but you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> they they want to be compassionate to this entity, basically. Yeah, you that know, like caused the guy the to have of... a seizure. But I mean, I guess it's like in pain, so whatever. It's yeah, I don't know what they're what they're reading on it is. Like, I feel like as Demi said, you guys, she has trauma. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Remember? Uh, I mean... Yes. Well, certainly that's the idea that she she has tra trauma and they kind of ha like latch on to the idea of like brother Bidum as like this evil for like because the crucifix thing kind of connects to this. Like, you know, she's yeah. traumatized around Jesus and like somehow like Christianity has harmed her. Like yeah, uh, Orthodox you know, Christianity. <laughs> yeah, like normal like religiosity <laughs> has harmed her um, somehow. Lying and like in those figure. Uh, so that's the thing that like you know I was listening to like I don't think I put it in the work fully. I think I forgot, but um, maybe you came across this anyway. Um, and there wasn't like you know most of it was just like a recap of the movie. But I was listening to like this podcast like Weird Studies that did an episode about this, and even they mm. sort of brought up. That and they were like, you know, again, much like less like sort of like, uh, you know, chronic haters than, than we are. And they said at this point, like it, the whole idea of this thing of like, OK, so some kind of like Christian guy like did that, like, you know, some evil like religious brother, like a monk or something like, you know, a member of like a religious order, like an evil Jesuit, like did like what like. What, you know, I don't actually know, like, what the title brother, I think it's, like, members of, like, monastic orders usually, like, um, it's... Monks and, like, Christian brothers in the Catholic Church. And, in Church. fact, I'm not, yeah, I don't actually think that orthodoxy, because this comes up later, like, the Ukrainian, like, I don't think orthodoxy uses brothers, like, that often. But, I mean, their main point exactly. is that, yeah. like, one of the hosts of this, this podcast says something like, well, when I hear brother, I immediately think of, like, Thelemites. I don't think of like Christians and <laughs> okay. then they like whether whatever the case it's clear that this person didn't use like Christian methods 
like because the idea is like okay the nails and the noose that are on the statue right because it's got a noose around its yeah. neck it's got mm-hmm. nails on its eyes so the idea is like oh somehow this like you know ba- big bad you know uh oppressive christian guy like nailed the statue in the eye and put a noose around its neck and it's like that's not a christian way of like harming an effigy of like a uh you know whatever a, um a yeah the, this figure it doesn't quite add up you know in that way well like, why it kind of you... it dovetails nicely with like a narrative that uh the new kirks are very fond of which is like the intergenerational persecution of witches throughout history yes. and yes. as one academic you found said uh was uh actually grossly inflated um, <laughs> um i don't know I don't um i don't remember like not i don't to necessarily go there not, re- a lot of people get mad about in that. the work flowy are not necessarily I endorsements condemn all persecution of witches throughout history uh, um yeah you know. um Yes, like, uh, we condemn. They should not be harmed. It was we bad. We condemn it. Um, yes, it was bad. We condemn it. Um, but yeah, you're you know, right. That we've it's only said Cotton Mather didn't do anything and... wrong because his role in the Salem witch trials was wrongly inflated. That's the issue here. But anyway, I digress. Um, it was really Miller that lied. Um, Mi- yeah, Miller by lied. making it um, like a yeah. You know, anyways, uh, um, painting him as the one who like got this all up when really he was a mediating influence of any, a moderating influence of any. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I digress. So, uh, uh, well, you know, okay, even the so, practice of image magic at Salem, which may have happened, does not justify you know what what occurred at all. You know, contrary to what uh, some of our opponents have suggested. So yes, absolutely. But okay, yeah. so they do get yeah they get this idea that you know some like big bad like Christian persecuted the spirit that is inhabiting this crone statue. And don't they also get some clues throughout the uh, Estes Method session of like wet, like talking about kind of like being wet and... Well, I think like, like the wetness comes from like the muddy footprints and like the the smell of old pond water that comes from the statue. Yes, yes. And um, then when the Ukrainian thing comes in is like because this all happened and like where Wigged Hiker throwaway is from is from the Catskills. So they're like going up to New York, like around where this statue came from and then this is where like the key shot that now has actually been like removed from the film in that's the ver- funny because I, I i actually was thinking wait what shot are you talking about because oh I, I the version you saw didn't Amazon. have it oh have wow it. no i wow. torrent so, i uh acquired it torrented. earlier well you know because like i feel like it, they charge you for it at least i didn't see it as like you know well, oh i had to I, pay i had to pay oh for wow it, so, all right well you know. see i guess they can't get mad at anything we say about them on this episode because dimitri has you know given you some some streaming I bought revenue. also for ten dollars so it's like we wow damn it, so you have this forever you can watch it every us, halloween yeah. from now on but anyway know, um yeah. i'll have to watch it five times because <laughs> my eyes just glaze over at a certain point um, but yeah because i'm trying to remember now and maybe it's that's not why. in that well because like, greg explicitly said memory, that the like, amazon version no longer has this shot but in earlier they versions, just jumped to talking about Baba Yaga all of a sudden, and then, yeah, wow. But well, what was the okay? okay so, so this is key. There's right. a scene where they're driving around the Catskills, where the statue is from, and they stop in front of this you know church that has like Ukrainian writing on it, or this you know this obviously like church-like or like you know religious structure it seems like that some kind of like building that has some kind of like ceremonial function or importance right it's like Mm -hmm. a very ornate uh gate i'll see if this is the temple of oriana Mm -hmm. right 
in Spring Glen, New York, which like again, they was completely not mentioned in the version that I watched. I think wow. they just started to say, like, we noticed that like when we thought about the old woman, like we thought about like folklore and that made us think about like Baba Yaga and then they just go off on the whole Ukrainian thing. But it was well, what like, they were saying okay, was that like, there was a big Ukrainian population in yeah. the Catskills or in upstate New York where this statue was found. And in the movie, the proof they use of that is like this shot of this building, which is like a meeting place for it's like a very particular uh, version of it right it's it's rune i think Vera well yeah it's, it, it's a splinter yeah. off of a another larger ukrainian neo-pagan group slash religion which uh yeah maybe we'll get like deeper into yeah it's a like you know later. there's a broader uh, phenomenon of rod novary but yeah, yeah this is like particularly slavic, yeah rod novary the slavic native faith and yeah there's a uh a branch of like the main organization that again like we I was just reading about this this morning and it's funny to think that like I think part of the reason that maybe there was like uproar over the shot is because unless he took a bunch of other stuff out of you know the cut that I saw like he he does not go into any of the stuff that like I've been reading about all morning. No, and he does it's not. It's just kind of like, oh, it's just like Ukrainian folklore. He didn't and go also, and talk to them and at like he didn't talk to the people there or ask them about anything or even speak to any people in the town or anything like yeah. that, you know. I mean, not at all. So some it's like, of the it, way it, they it, did that in I, Hellier was like not great, so maybe they just wanted to avoid doing that again, but you would hope that there would be like a little more elaboration than just like, oh, this is what Ukrainian people do. And, <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Which like, have always been around. So they're they like we're seeing like, signs in Cyrillic. I don't think they even use the term Cyrillic, no, but you that, know, that like, wasn't even that's that like that in Slavic languages. And so yeah, but they did there is like Cyrillic on this on the signs they use that. But it was like the temple of like, you know, the Oriana thing. And so this gets kind of introduced that just like, hey, there's a lot of Ukrainian folklore that happens uh, to kind of line up with like some of this phenomena. And also there's a lot of Ukrainians living up in that Catskills area. But we're going to cut out the scene where we found their cult. Uh, neo-pagan church where like right uh, so, if anybody well, yeah, might have been well, involved idea, in putting this there like, that they hook onto is that it's interesting because it's not just like oh you know there's a lot like for some other reason yeah that literally is what it is that this has some kind of like something to do with like ukrainian neo-paganism but really like this is a key thing too is that like they really are buying hard into the neo-pagan narrative like they basically don't recognize any separation between like the a concept of like slavic paganism held by like neo-pagans today and like any which is like so they do their own research right first where they they come up with their whole framework for this which is as you're kind of uh, saying that, yeah, like this is how they jump to this thing of like, oh, you know, they start talking about Baba Yaga, where and I don't know why, but Maka Makash, Mo yeah, Mokash, as and they, Mokash. Uh, yeah, that's right, um, yeah, and yeah, so they're like, Greg is like convinced that like Mokash was a Slavic deity, and Mokash was the goddess of moisture. So basically, he's yeah. all in. This is like the pan moment where. He's all in that this is Mo this this is a statue this of Mokash. Mokash. Yeah. And like yeah. basically it's slowly comes out the thesis that 
like an evil like Christian like <laughs> took this beautiful goddess icon and like nailed nails in its eyes, put a noose around its neck and left it in standing upright in a cave in the woods for a wigged hiker to find. Yes. Uh, pretty much. Like yeah. as I mean, part of like this... the continuation of the like horrible, you know persecution of witches. Yeah, <laughs> persecution. Like which is like, you know, again, not to minimize like it, you know the atrocities committed in like the name of like rooting out like witchcraft which often you know uh targeted people who were not practicing witchcraft in any way um yes yes exactly you know uh not to say that even if they were they deserve what was sometimes done to witches throughout history but like the connection there like it's very and they this is the part where they go to talk to an academic who as i said like i felt because i feel like her main point was we don't really know anything about like what the actual like pre-Christian Slavs believed. Most of the stuff is based on like 19th century, like back projections, sort of like nationalistically motivated, which is kind of why all this stuff is so heavily bound up with like ethno nationalist tendencies, Mm -hmm. because that's kind of where this, like, you know, this is like, you know, uh, this is our real religion, you know, this is our real ethnic faith, you know, getting back to the this idea. And like in the 19th century, you know, really like Soviet writers were yes. kind of interested in this stuff. In fact, I was reading just last night, you know, kind of doing some uh, extra reading for this episode or like some, uh, you know, just uh, general like kind of like noodling around. Uh, I came across this text called uh, The Book of Veles or Veles. Oh, oh um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. was reading about that. Right. Which, I had no idea about this book, but yeah, it's like a 19th century forgery, which is supposed to be like another like, protocols kind of thing. Yeah, uh, which is supposed to be bit. like an ancient Slavic like religious text. But like the crazy thing about this was that up until like 2008, at least like in Ukrainian high schools, like they were taught this is like this is history. You know, this is oh like actual God. Slavic paganism. Oh my God. So like there's yeah. a lot of. But anyway, yeah, so they go to see this professor at the University of Kentucky, and what she really says is that, which is, like, you know, all of this, like, you know, it seems like she really does, like, work a lot in the 19th century and 20th century, like, about kind of, like, ethno-nationalism around, like, in spirituality. It seems like that's kind of, like, what her research focuses on. So it seems like she's trying to make the point that, like, that's what's going on here, where, like, neo-pagans, you know, but... I feel like a lot of it just kind of like, you know, goes in one ear and out the other. And Greg is just like, so this is Mokash is basically what you're saying. Like, so this statue is a statue of Mokash. And like... No, really, I was so optimistic in that scene when that professor popped up. And I feel like it's like one of the strongest moments in the whole movie because right, it's like yeah. the most grounded in history and like, uh, like it's facts-based. But it really is. Like, I mean, and that's like a fascinating thing, especially when you talk about, yeah, like, like Slavic history, I've like I I've dug into this like a little bit before. I just had a you know curiosity because I'm part Slavic and like it. It's funny how you know even though Slavs have been around or their predecessors or whatever have been around for you know thousands of years because there was no written language for a long time. Like like the professor said, so much of it is completely lost in like the mists of history. And there's only like tiny, tiny scraps from like the medieval period that themselves are kind of based on speculation and who knows what. And it's also been like politically battled over and like shaped by, you know, the Orthodox church and like the Russian monarchy and then later the Soviets. And then 
like going into the nationalisms of today and most of this stuff that is neo-pagan i think she i think she makes this point like much like the western european and american neo-pagans like earlier in the 20th century who you know really claimed that they were part of like an unbroken lineage of you know witches or you know whatever like pagans animus whatever yeah. you want to call it that really like these traditions were uh kind of really based on stuff that was happening in like the the mid to late like 19th century and going into the early 20th where yeah you know there's a lot of like proto new age like post theosophy once again like stuff like that all floating around and, and also like the kind of you know romanticism of like 19th century nationalism in Europe and the the need for like a cultural story to basically, you know, uh, differentiate yourself from like your neighbors and yeah. claim like a specific civilizational identity. And I think it's always been like a weird thing with the Slavs is like they look around at all these other much older, both in Europe, but also like, you know, in uh, like the Islamic world and in, you know, China, etc. And they're like, uh, we don't really know. And then, like, right when we get recorded history, we all get converted to Christianity. And yeah. so there's always that tension as well of, like, both the Soviets and some other, you know, different types have uh, promoted that idea of, like, Christianity was sort of, you know, culturally imposed upon, like, the Slavic peoples. But it's not our original religion, and actually, there was this deeper, more ancient thing that, you know, I think I think the so I mean the Soviets weren't like flagrantly. They certainly weren't like fanning the flames of like nationalism. Or that wasn't their intent. But I think it was you know more in the sense of creating like a, a kind of alternative uh, or like a, a an alternative spirituality that was like kind of rooted in a national yeah, identity. Yeah, it's also part of like identity and history. You know, so like have and it also puts you on equal footing with other nations in a way like mm -hmm. so i mean part of it yeah and actually i'm reading right now that i think i read an article that this was a 19th century forgery but i think the book of velas that is but i think that mm -hmm. was believed earlier and now it's believed to be like a, a mid 20th century work actually but anyway yeah like yeah. a lot of this stuff about like what the slavic pantheon was and things like that it's based on saying like oh well you know there's a shared like indo-european kind of you know uh belief and so like we have like the thunder god like the sky god which is like and it's based on kind of like looking at the pantheons that we do have like written records of like mm -hmm. in hesiod and stuff like that and like saying like oh well this god must have existed you know and just kind of like based on like what little stuff they can put together like trying to figure like you know sort of like just by comparative uh guessing uh arriving yeah. at something so it's like kind of like yeah so the idea like so th like when craig is like saying like this is an ancient goddess like there might be something there but also like another thing is like a lot of in particular the case of mokash a lot mm -hmm. of the idea of mokash is back projected from like uh saint petka right or uh Pietnatsa, i think however you say friday in russian i've spoken russian in so many years right because there's like a, a a sort of saint a patron saint of that uh, she's like associated with and the idea is that she kind of like was uh this is kind of like an christianized absorption. yeah yeah christianized uh yeah, yeah the the sort of dual faith paradigm of like yeah. slavic people Paraskeev, as well which honestly paraskeva paraskevi yeah yeah where, that's and, right yeah and or, she's yeah, also known the, as like you know friday like saint friday kind of um yeah but i mean yeah. they did have that phenomenon uh, like yeah 
like pretty yeah. much like all cultures around the world i mean that that aspect of dual faith or like syncretism of kind of absorbing these like older pagan figures and rituals and traditions and like you know i think did they say was it mokosh that i don't know if it was mokosh that was eventually kind of transmuted into sort of the virgin mary i mean people kind of they said it was like sort of both that like her cult was like sublimated into the virgin mary and also like uh Mm -hmm. parasceva of iconium yeah because i guess yeah well this is like wikipedia citation needed it's very prominently marked here but it says the veneration of parasceva by the eastern slavs is closely associated with the ancient cult of the pagan mokosha to whom women dedicated friday afternoon the saint received the double name of parasceva piatnitsa uh, meaning Parasceva Friday. Russified forms of the name uh, Parasceva are also popular. Praskovia, uh, Parasha, Pana. That's what it says. Uh, but again, yeah, like citation yeah. needed. So I think, um, I mean, that in a way is a preservation of kind of these ancient, like misty, you know, pre-Christian traditions, but also it's like so hard to like really separate like well what actually was that based on because the historical record is like so scant you know yeah. before about maybe the year like 900 or a thousand you know it's like we know very very uh little or even like archaeologically like i think they found some old cities that are in you know ukraine or in poland and like they you know they have these like kind of anodyne like the the pomeranian culture or like you know these other groups but they know they had cities and they had you know like real culture it's kind of like our issue with the the indigenous north americans and how like they did have big cities and like all this other stuff but because like we don't have written records of it it, it's like you're kind of left to speculate well, but, in that case, you know. at least, like, there was, like, when, you know, at the time of colonization, there was, like, oral tradition that was, That's like, true. in many ways correct. Like, what it kind of reminds me of a little bit is what you see today with, like, some contemporary neo-pagans. And, and this usually has, like, a polemical purpose rather than trying to support anyone's actual, like, practice of spirituality. But it's, like, the sort of pre-Islamic uh, beliefs when people are, like, trying to... but. It's funny because like the only actual the best historical source about like those beliefs are like a few references to them in the Quran, which do not make them look good (laughs) or like anything that anyone would want to, you know, believe in. Even if, you know, you're someone who like doesn't, you know, believe that the Quran is being truthful or like representing these things truthfully, which like some people like read the Quran with a ridiculous hermeneutic of suspicion on these things. Like even if you do a little bit, like I think still like. You have to acknowledge that certainly this is a text that people understood as like referring to things like, you know, burying, uh, you know, infant girls because, uh, you know, like leaving them to die of exposure, the sort of practices of the society that are criticized, like uh, certainly the audience would have like recognized this as something that actually was a practice uh, in order for the criticism to make sense. So good point. Uh, I you mean, know, they had like, to be killing babies, folks. They were killing babies, folks, and that's They're one of the Quran's folks. biggest critiques of the practices of uh, the Interesting. pagan Meccans. Um, yes, uh, yeah. Well, I think, and um, we know from other like, historical records that sometimes when they're like they're pretty open and like bragging about it, I feel like you know a lot of the Greek city states like 
Didn't Sparta do that? Didn't they? Oh yeah. Well, there's definitely records of the practice of exposure, but the thing is, like in terms of like manuscript sources or things like that about like pre-Islamic Arabia, we might have like a few inscriptions. We might have a few like like even the seventh century itself, right? Even a lot of our sources about early Islam are rather late. They're from like the second and third century Hijri. So my point is that like when people are trying to be like the beautiful religion of the pre-Islamic Meccans that was snuffed out by the evil Muslims, like they're basically reconstructing it based on like the accounts of people writing centuries later who hated that religion and were just using it as a symbol of everything bad <laughs> you know like like it's like things like you know the the book of idols uh Kitabul Esnam, that you know is generally not like given like considered you know, there's methods for uh uh, assessing the reliability of reports in the Islamic tradition like this certainly isn't something that is like given uh, that level of, of authority but you know even even then like you have to acknowledge that like this is it's like very polemical material like it's not it's probably not how those people would want to represent themselves like I don't think that they probably would acquit themselves very well if they like could make their case like because of some of the practices that they're imputed to have had uh, and mm. like the you know picture that we do have from our most reliable sources of what the culture was like however it's just like kind of a, a ridiculous enterprise because and it's like kind of rotten at the core because it's sort of like it's kind of like a Levian thing where you're taking something that's meant to be bad and meant to be evil and trying to turn it into something good out of a pure like polemical or like kind of contrarian impulse. I don't think Slavic neopaganism is quite the same because there is like maybe a little bit more to go on, but like not. And it's not like being totally started with polemical materials. It's based on kind of like comparison and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Which I think some of the, you know, probably goes on in what I'm talking about as well. But yeah, I mean, and I guess. You know, this would track a little bit with, I don't know, eh, this, is, this is personality speculation, but Greg Newkirk's uh, upbringing as, you know, a Baptist preacher to be, and then falling in love with a witch and going on a spookier path, you know, a more spiritually eclectic path. I don't know. I feel like sometimes I notice this a lot. Like, I think the people that get the most mad at us for, you know, talking about like cotton mather or anything like that like or you know talking about um, susgin or anything like that uh or you know satanic panic type things i feel like more often than not we're like raised very christian and then rebelled against it probably mm-hmm. in many cases like justifiably if i'm judging by like the way that uh american christianity be sometimes but then there is that like church of satan thing of like anybody that like the religious christians uh, persecuted or say or bad throughout history like must be the good guys by default yes and so that includes like anton LaVey, michael aquino uh all witches ever <laughs> yeah and you know like and this be- anybody yeah and this like this this like a uh, you know crone statue that is inhabited by like mokash is uh yeah and in this uh, case it becomes know, like a very thing. tenuous narrative i mean i felt like for a while that i mean i like when I said Cotton Mather did nothing wrong, and first, first of all, I immediately qualified it and said, like, you know, I understand that he was like someone who like probably like believed in uh, genocide of Native Americans and you know had all sorts of baleful opinions. But it was first of all, it was very early in our podcast. I was exaggerating and jesting. Maybe I shouldn't have jested about it. 
However, like the point was that his role in the Salem witch trials has been misrepresented. And yeah, also, you fair. know, if you believe in vaccines, then you should have a more nuanced view of Cotton Mather because he was one of the greatest proponents of inoculation. I think I mentioned this in the podcast before, <laughs> earlier proponents right. of inoculation. Yeah, and in fact, like, you know, after people were like, uh, when he was saying like, oh, you know, if we inoculate ourselves against diseases, like we protect ourselves from like, you know, the invisible causes of them. And they're like, oh, Cotton Mather, once again, warning us about these invisible beings that can make us sick, you know, <laughs> like, and they, were, people were really pissed right. off, you he know, so earned. the original anti-vaxxers really were very uh, much true. against Cotton Mather. But uh, yeah, anyway, so um, just to drive this point home, I did want to read from uh, this, this book, Letters from Heaven, Popular Religion in Russia and Ukraine by John Paul Himka and Andrei uh, Zayarniuk. Uh, which yeah, kind of yeah. talks about this issue. Uh, it says, For more than a century, scholars from many countries, including Russia, Bulgaria, Poland, Romania, Serbia, Germany, France, and the United States, have studied the cult of St. Paraskeva. Some of their studies have concentrated on the vitae and services of St. Paraskeva in the medieval manuscript tradition, in particular questions of dating and textual variants. Certain studies have examined the political significance of the cult in the Second Bulgarian Empire, where St. Paraskeva served as one of the official patrons of the governing city of Tvor uh, uh, Tornorvo, sorry, Tornorvo, uh, T-R-N-V-O. I don't actually know how to pronounce that, sorry. Others have examined her cult in medieval Serbia, in Novgorod, and in other places. Other scholarly investigations focused on peasant custom, particularly in Russia, based on ethnographic data. In the opinion of these scholars, the cult of St. Paraskeva arose strictly from pagan sources, and it remained predominantly pagan in character, despite the official endorsement of the church. Eminent historians such as B.A. Uh, Rybakov and N. Matorin saw the cult of St. Paraskeva as a survival of pre-Christian belief in the pagan goddess Mokash. Mokash herself, they viewed him as an avatar of goddesses known to other Indo-European peoples, such as Aphrodite, Venus, Freya, and the Greek fates. Like them, Mokash was a later reflection of the great mother goddess of the Neolithic epoch. This glib association of Paraskeva with Mokash cannot withstand scrutiny. First, the apparent similarity between the traits of Paraskeva and Mokash is the result of scholars' circular reasoning. Medieval sources contain little information about the goddess Mokash beyond her inclusion in the pantheon established by the Grand Prince Vladimir in a decade before the Christianization of Russia. Faced with this dearth of information, scholars reconstructed her characteristics on the basis of ethnographical materials in the cult of St. Paraskeva. So it is no wonder the two seem to be virtually identical. A more serious objection to the identification of Paraskeva with Mokash comes from the evidence of her cult among other peoples. Although Paraskeva gained little attention in the West, her cult flourished among other Slavic peoples, especially the Orthodox Bulgarians and Serbs, and in Greece and Romania, where the Russian goddess Mokash was unknown. This pattern suggests that specifically Orthodox direct source for the cult of St. Paraskeva. In recent years, American feminist scholars have adopted a similar view of Paraskeva's pagan origins, depicting her cult as an expression of women's religiosity. They praised it as a method for women to resist the hostile forces of Christianity, autocracy, and patriarchalism. Feminist scholars are, are correct in their observation that the institutional structure of the Orthodox Church reinforced the patriarchal order, dictating that women subordinate themselves to men, husbands, priests, princes, and Jesus Christ. Medieval monks wrote sermons warning against evil women who were too independent. The chief characteristic of good women was often their subservience. Paraskeva, on the other hand, was never humble or timid, either in folk legend or in ecclesiastical literature. While feminist scholars are correct that the cult of St. Paraskeva empowered women, they err in viewing it as a manifestation of living paganism. The women who venerated St. Paraskeva staunchly identified themselves as Christian. 
I do not deny the pagan origin of many of the beliefs and customs that surround St. Paraskeva, because the roots of nearly every element of folk tradition can be found in the distant past. Analogs to virtually all Christian beliefs and customs in Russia and Western Europe both can be found within the pagan systems of the ancient and medieval worlds. Such beliefs survive precisely because they provided a means of expressing common human experiences. However, symbols may be reinterpreted in new contexts and new layers of belief bury old ones. Just as Christianity represents a redefinition of beliefs and a realignment of symbols into a distinctive religious system, so the cult of St. Paraskeva represents, within that Christian system, an analogous reconfiguration. Paraskeva is not just a pagan goddess with a new name. Instead, her cult reflects a recombination of elements and their reinterpretation within a specifically Christian context. Yeah, Damn, you know, okay. it goes on from there. This kind that's, of underscores this, yeah. No, it's very, very interesting. I the guess kind that's of the fallacy the... of this paradigm of like Christians versus the beautiful Mokash who has like been suppressed uh, and is mostly worshipped by like right wing paramilitaries. Well, um, yeah, you I know. Mean, but, I guess also the um, funny thing is that they they I think they shot this in like 2018 or 2019. So to be fair, how could they have known that you know? They they probably weren't as up on all the Slava Ukraini lore as all yeah. of us have become <laughs> in like the last, you know, year and a half or so. But God, it is interesting. Like yeah, that the kind of looking at it through those like blinkers, that's kind of what I'm talking about with like some people that are kind of ex, you know, fell away were raised, you know, evangelical or just kind of hyper American Christian and then like rebelled against it, kind of look at it in this binary where like there's like cool like Michael Aquino is cool and like Maury Terry is sus and like yeah or you have to pick one like mm -hmm. and um and it ignores like the intense crossover of these like religious traditions and like rituals and figures and how they're much more kind of intertwined you know mm -hmm. where it's like I mean you can say simultaneously like Orthodox Christianity is was both something that like was brought to the Slavic lands and you could say like imposed on them by the monarchs but at the same time because it like carries in it so many of like these traditions these like sublimated traditions from the pagan era like is it not authentically you know Slavic or Russian or Serbian like it feels like you know because of that kind of amalgamation that absorption that it is highly particular and contains you know I guess if you're like a hardcore neo-pagan, that's not enough. Like you want to get that that cut god from Nazareth out of here, you know, and uh, have a based, you know, Thor god, Indo-Aryan mm -hmm. Thor god yeah. as your your godhead. But nonetheless, so it's like it is more complex. And I mean, I would say that like the movie uh, from here does not go in any of those directions, <laughs> basically. Like I was surprised they must have cut out part. I don't know if they didn't ask or if they just cut this part out because of like the controversy. But when Greg asked that professor about, you know, modern day, like Slavic neo-pagan groups, I mean, she says like, oh, they're very small. Like they're, they're very small. There's like a few of them scattered around. But again, this might've been in like 2018. Like I feel like they've had um, a kind of a resurgence, you know, since the mm -hmm. war started. Yeah. Um, certainly a resurgence of publicity. And, mm -hmm. but I could see back then being like, they're not that relevant. Like they're just these little groups here and there. And mm -hmm. then, you know, they just kind of move on from there. Like, all right, now we have to like prepare our ritual to like unbind Mokosh from, you know, this statue and blah, blah, blah. And they don't really, uh, 
I don't know, pursue any of those lines like further. I guess well, they get yeah, the like theory. What they, it's interesting because like basically where this comes from is like they asked the professor like, mm-hmm, like after she says all the stuff about neo-pagan groups and how like they made up all of their gods, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then they're like, uh-huh, okay. So, you know, still like going on, like still not, you know, in one ear out the other. And they're like, so is there a competition between these neo-pagan groups and Christianity? And of course this woman is like, yeah, there's a ton, obviously. Like, they exist to, like, you know, they, they exist to compete. Like, they, yeah. like one is, like, designed, or, like, you know, one is very much, like, made in the... It's the thing, like... In opposition to yeah, the other. Like, yeah. it rose up as a, like, alternative religious tradition against, like, particularly Orthodox Christianity, you know? Yes, exactly. Um, and that's why, like, a lot of it is... Uh, like it sort of describes itself as being orthodox right they like use that terminology or like they even have like the same holidays but they'll be like the christmas of perun or something and i mean these groups also like that's the thing though is i feel like how could you not ask her so do you know any groups that are specifically operating in the upstate new york area in the catskills and like she could have i feel like she seemed knowledgeable enough that she'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, the, uh, you know, the Temple of Oriana, like in Spring Glen, like that's the one. But I I assume that was not in the original cut that you saw because she doesn't name any names about groups and he doesn't really ask for any. He just no, asks if they're friends. No, it was not. Fed, no, she, doesn't, no, she says like, I don't know of any. There, she says like a few small groups. Yeah, there's a part where she's like, some here, some, you know, some in New York. And everyone's like, you know, there's like a cut of everyone being like, yeah, New York. Yeah. Which then they don't follow up on. Like really they don't investigate what the. Yeah. But the idea, I guess, like it's I mean, I will say it's all very vague. And no, the, the earlier cut does not make it clearer. But it's just kind of like, and it's never actually stated exactly what is supposed to have happened. But it's the basically the idea that, yeah, like, for some reason, like, I guess an Orthodox Christian guy took this, like, icon that, like, beautiful goddess-worshipping Rodnovers were, like, you know, worshipping. And they, like, put nails in its eyes and put a noose around its neck. And then brought it up to the side of a mountain and left it standing upright in a cave to like scare hikers it doesn't make it's any really sense weird like, the idea that like a that like a ukrainian orthodox christian would kind of commit a desecration of like an occult object with like a very like american kkk coded kind of thing of putting well, a noose around i have neck. to say i don't think it's american kkk coded i think that it is i mean well the noose obviously has a racial signification but in particular the nails and also like the use of, of rope and rope has a even hangman's nooses have like an important occult symbology. People used to, like I mean usually they were nooses that actually used to hang people, but people would like sell like you know hangman's nooses for use and like uh, yeah, for as good luck charms or use uh, for use in, in uh, magical workings and things like that. Like this is like basically this is a typical thing where you like if you drive nails into an effigy that can harm a person, right? It's like the voodoo doll thing. A like, this is thing. Yeah. yeah, this is like it screams. Like, this is a, a punishment doll. Like, this is a, you know, an effigy. Left-hand path voodoo. Yeah, that, yeah it's well, true. You know, maybe like, not, maybe not, I don't know, I don't want to put the left-hand path, like, thing on this or whatever. But certainly, like, some kind of, like, hex. Like, that's what it most yeah. obviously seems to be. Which is, in- it's so interesting. It's like, there's so many things, even just with the content they're presenting and the directions they take it in. They, like, never take it in any of these directions. Because, like, that might implicate, like, some witch out there is doing, like, 
attack offensive magic or something like that well that's the thing like even if this was like it's obviously not like brother bidham the super orthodox you know like normal priest who is just like this is like when people who are christian unless they're the warrens and they want to make money off of them want to like deal with like a demonically possessed doll they either exercise it or like you know anoint it with like holy or something like that you know like or they ignore it like bury like or they they destroy it they yeah. don't. They don't put like nails into it. it. Yeah, like they don't. And leave yeah, it out in the forest. Right, doesn't make any it, sense. It doesn't really make any sense for it people seems to more find. Like in, yeah, like a, it seems more like an occult inside job or an intra occult uh, conflict of some kind, or like, or an occultist trying to uh, cast some kind of like hex on somebody. If anything, yeah, yeah the if whole anything. thing is like the nails are new and the statue is old, which which may be and like you know they said it was newer than everything but they never explained how they determined they determined what was new and what was old they did determine the noose was like from walmart and the nails are from walmart in that town right Mm, but honestly like it's not that hard to like whittle that statue you know it doesn't like they also went on like there were shots of them going on etsy and there was like all these pages of people selling these little statues like ukrainian neo-pagan like slavic neo-pagan style little statues for like your altar at home and things like that right so it it could have easily been ordered from ukraine or from russia and but i mean i didn't see anything that looked just like this like usually they're a lot you know nicer looking there's some that looked like vaguely similar none that were identical but like they looked vaguely in the same category of like somebody could make one like this and sell it on etsy and then an occultist buys it and then but there are a lot of statues that look like that and really it's like probably because they look like christian icons of mary maybe or or of saints like i feel like generally that's like kind of what these look like you know i don't know like do you like i mean i don't i don't think there's a reason why neo-pagans like i mean like i said they were scrolling through those etsy pages and like people sell little occult statues like that so like yeah like seems pretty simple that they would just order like it doesn't seem too mysterious to me like where the exact object was like made or came from or you know could even be an older one like from ukraine that somebody's like selling on ebay or something like maybe that. assuming you that know. this even like is from you like i i wouldn't necessarily like rule out the possibility first of all that like the redditors made this and oh yeah for sure yeah yeah, yeah. No, it's like not hard i to make could it all. see that like are, i'm not i'm also not ruling out their object. reading of like the slot like you know that there's some kind of like slavic or ukrainian connection but yeah you know just saying for no i mean i think there it feels at the same time like given the presence of a ultra nationalist like you know slavic neo-pagan like ukrainian cult in like the nearby town there that that would be like a natural like kind of top of the list in terms of suspects of like who would have had possession of this thing and like even maybe done something to it and put it out in the woods like you know they're neo-pagans they like going out in the woods and doing rituals like that's what they do yeah like it and so but it's just it's weird that this like this movie kind of doesn't even want to go like near that and just focus but like is you know it the whole ukrainian origin is part of its story but it's like not that interested in like actually who put it there or yeah, why, what they believe, or, why, yeah, who they might like, be. Like we yeah. want to find the people that did this. Like that, you know, which, you know, is No, spookier. that's like their research methodology is like we went on Etsy and we saw that like some of these statues look like not exactly the same, but like kind of similar. 
which like I think that it, like you know it also looks similar to a bunch of things. It, I I could see it. But I'm they not decide saying, you know. to go with the Ukrainian narrative. But yeah, they also because don't there's like Ukraine, actually you know, dive into the because they like, saw that Rodnover church, you know, in Spring Glen, and then they don't like talk to anybody about it, and they just are like, okay, this is Mokash for sure, and it was oppressed by a Christian or something like that, you know, which is like a strange and again because maybe Jesus it hits extra different. Uh, maybe it hits extra different in 2023 than when they shot it because of like, you know, yeah, just like the prevalence of like Ukrainian stuff. But I can't help but be like a little bit, I don't know, like the idea that like Ukrainian neo-pagans are like running around in upstate New York, like doing rituals and stuff is um something I think about now. I think it really comes to like when we start to like read some of the articles you found about academic studies of like you know, Slavic neo-paganism in Ukraine, like after the collapse of the Soviet Union. And obviously now, I think a lot of people are aware of like Azov Battalion neo-Nazis, essentially like Banderites. And a lot of them like subscribe to these neo-pagan sort of like Slavic beliefs. I actually wasn't aware that, you know, a big hub of like developing those ideas was like in this place and like Spring Glen yeah like that church doesn't like originate in ukraine it like originates there (laughs) well it's ukrainian this sets off the alarm bells it's like you people who fled ukraine in like 1945 and came to america and canada which is like uh like ss alert basically and like sure enough when you go back into the history of like the chief promulgators of um ukrainian like neo-paganism it was like these super fashy, super anti-Soviet, ultra-nationalist guys that had to flee to the West. And then they were very busy over the course of like the Cold War of developing this new kind of history of like the Ukrainian people. And like the directions they took it to are right up to the point that we see today of like some of the craziest kind of like Ukrainian paramilitary neo-Nazi types, you know, talking about how like uh, like I think some of them literally believe that like Ukraine is the oldest civilization, yeah, like before Sumeria, right? And, like actually, they had this like written language that uh, became that like spread to India and everywhere. Else. But then somehow they like lost their written language along the way for like a thousand plus years, you know. And then Christianity came and the Cyrillic alphabet. So it's like they believe some wild shit that is like very alternative ultranationalist history that is like not backed up by you know in a way it's like classic esoteric nazi type shit you know Mm -hmm. where you come up with these like fanciful origin stories about like your race and particularly how it was more exalted and superior to everybody and kind of like address like addressing this insecurity that like we talk about and like you know the in, in, in all of Slavdom that you know because history is unwritten we don't have this like record we can go back to as long as uh, some other you know countries in the general region and uh, you know how are we supposed to be like reign supreme if we don't have that cool story and so I don't know the unbinding like while it's all about Baba Yaga and yeah like unbinding Mokash you know blah 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 it's like it doesn't want to go there at all and like investigate it doesn't want to tell i guess that kind of story about what this is they just want to help mokash like yeah because yeah this great historical injustice that has been done 
and they're yeah, doing restorative like, and also witchcraft, like, are you, wait, I don't understand how it doesn't it doesn't make any sense because how is this goddess if this is a goddess so powerful or, or like you know so la- lacks power to an extent that are so weak that whoever did this ritual with the nails and the noose has like locked it in the statue and now it's like sad. That's extremely powerful magic if if you know that's true, right? Yeah. Like an entire. I mean. Is it even clear? So there's like, like some kind of like big like bad orthodox is... brother like out there named Brother Bidum, who, who you know, is you, also like, like an archmage. Hootler like, dropped like a spiritual Spetsnaz team into upstate New York and like yeah. they conducted a magical operation that disabled the fascist Banderite god Mokash. Mokash.